Welcome. This is an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. The topic is Debunking Myths About Sex and Intimacy, delivered by Melinda Arnold, MA, during our Restoring Intimacy Conference in September 2014. Other recordings from that event are available on our website, www.healthyintimacy.net. Hi, and thanks for sitting in Debunking Sexual Myths. I'm Melinda Arnold. I'm a counselor in Westland, and I'm currently um, pursuing a certification as a sex therapist through the Institute of Sexual Wholeness. The topic of sex and intimacy is one that not only fascinates me and is fun, but it's also very close to my heart. I am a survivor of sexual abuse, former user of pornography. I engaged in premarital sex and am now married and enjoy the deep blessings of a healthy, committed intimacy. It's actually in contrasting all of my experiences that I have the joy of seeing what sexual intimacy really can be. For as sexual as our culture is collectively, we are quite resistant to speaking openly about the emotional and mechanical aspects of sex. This omission of information leads individuals to build a belief system based on images they viewed on TV, pornography, as well as random, random anecdotes or social messages from our family, friends, school, etc. So it's my task today to try to speak to some of these misconceptions and shed some light on the lies that so many of us understand as truth. So let's dig in. We'll start with the common beliefs for those who have not yet engaged in sex. The first is, Sex will hurt the first time. This one's really meant for women. There are some well-meaning people who may take the opportunity to warn a virgin bride. The first time will most likely hurt. The intent is to prepare her to push on and keep trying, but not be surprised if it's painful. The problem with this advice is that the anxiety produced by anticipating an, un an unknown pain may actually prime the pump for further sexual pain. What happens when you anticipate pain? Well, you physically brace yourself by tightening muscles. When muscles to the vagina are contracted, it makes entry quite difficult and often painful. So now an association between sex and pain is formed and the cycle begins. A condition called vaginismus is defined as an intense burning and pain of the outer two-thirds of the vagina, marked by tightening and spasm muscles. Nearly all studies indicate that a fear of pain and anxiety associated with sex will involuntarily tighten the muscles in the pelvic area, causing additional pain, which will produce further fear and anxiety of pain, thus producing a cycle of pain that can prove to be quite difficult to interrupt. Instead of warning inexperienced ladies about the potential of sexual pain, perhaps a more helpful message may be coaching them to take advantage of foreplay. Um, use additional lubrication if necessary. And encourage them and empower them to request and coach their male partner to ease into the vagina slowly and gently to allow the muscles to relax and stretch around him. The next myth is sex will be passionate, hot, and flawless the first time. It's not really hard to imagine where this message originates. 
picture the sex scene in the iconic movie Top Gun, among countless others, let alone scenes in every pornography. This is the bar that we must meet. Simultaneous orgasm that is reached within minutes, no foreplay required, and as much passion and groaning as one can imagine. Hate to burst your bubble, but this really sets you up for failed expectations. Each pair of people is unique, is unique and will need communication, practice, and trust. Even if you are a seasoned lover like Don Juan, with each new partner, you will need to learn his or her buttons. It may often be awkward the first time, particularly if you're not in a committed relationship. So I'd like to suggest this. Have sex with a committed partner, preferably a spouse, with whom you can laugh about sexual foibles, coach directly, feel safe, and be uninhibited emotionally and physically. Give yourself and your partner the grace to learn each other and to find a unique rhythm that works for both of you. The next myth is you need to test drive before you buy to make sure that you are sexually compatible. This very popular belief informs the people involved that they are on trial and must perform in order to maintain a relationship. Therefore, the sex that is had is missing a very key component, which is intimacy. It also assumes that sex is not a learned skill and you either have it or you don't. So perhaps instead, the quality you should be looking for in a mate is a willingness to learn. Many people will also assume that they will find love in the physical action of sex. And therefore, if the sex is bad, then they didn't find the love. But sex was never meant to be the source of love. It is meant to confirm and express love, love that already exists. If you are looking for a lover that will blow your socks off and make you fall madly in love with them by engaging in sex with them, you will find a wellspring of disappointment. Intimacy is built on nurtured and, and nurtured before making love. Think about it. How can anyone let their guard down if they feel that they are being interviewed sexually? Trust has to come first. For those of you who have experienced sex, the following may be some misguided beliefs. Sex is the most important part of a relationship. Well, sex is certainly a big part of intimate, committed relationship, but it is not the biggest. In fact, many couples, for reasons including chronic illness, disabilities, or otherwise, cannot engage in sexual intercourse or at least typical sexual intercourse. At the risk of making a blanket statement, with the exception of these scenarios, a couple's sex life can often be used as a thermometer that gauges the temperature and health of the overall relationship. If you consider the nature of intimacy and what it means, it only makes sense that a couple with trust issues might find it challenging to become naked with one another or lose themselves enough to experience orgasm. Sex is designed to draw a couple closer together, and yet when there is discord between them, they may leave the interaction feeling exposed and violated or distant. Beyond sex being a mirror that reflects the dynamics of a relationship, it has some very powerful effects on an individual. Those who have been sexually abused in any capacity can attest to its power to harm. And those who have had experienced um, and those who have experienced the richness of mutual, gratifying, and selfless lovemaking can be a witness to the healing elements it provides.
So the truth is, sex is not the be-all, end-all of a relationship, but it certainly is a major component. The next myth is, good sex is measured by simultaneous orgasm. I guess you could say this is the unicorn of sex. We touched, we touched on this a bit earlier. Simultaneous orgasm seems easy to achieve according to Hollywood, but the reality is men and women, and every individual in between, are different. Typically, women require more time to climax, as well as more emotional and physical buildup. The average length of time for a woman to orgasm is 10 to 20 minutes, whereas the average length of time for a man to orgasm is 7 to 14 minutes overall, and only 2 to 3 during intercourse. If your goal is to orgasm together, you may be disappointed. I'd suggest that this not be your focus in lovemaking. A more realistic expectation is to take turns according to what works uniquely to that couple. The benefit to take turns is that each person is able to focus on their own pleasure, which may actually increase the overall physical pleasure of the experience. The next myth is sex will be hot and passionate each and every time. If you've been sexually active long enough, you know that this simply is not true. The problem is, this underlying belief may cause some to become worried that something is wrong with their sex life or relationship if the sex is not always passionate, spontaneous, and hot. So allow me to suggest something else. Sex can be and ought to be passionate, but it just isn't always that way. Context is so important. The context of an evening with one another simply may not allow the energy or the time required for mind-blowing out-of-this-world passion. You may be going through a challenging season which has dried up the Twitter-pated feelings that you have for your spouse. But that's okay. Whatever the reason, it is still valuable to connect on that level with your spouse. Giving of yourself physically in order to be close to your spouse is incredibly beneficial to the emotional and committed bond between the two of you. And it doesn't always have to look like the movies. There are a spectrum of different types of sex, and this is not exhaustive. But let's take a look at it. Here's a spectrum of several different types of sex, and of course it's not exhaustive. Probably the, the more intense type is a passionate sex. This may be inspired by um, hormonal or horniness, a desire for orgasm. And it can be quite fun, but it's not the only one. Next to that is a type of sex I like to call connecting. This is the type of intimacy where two people come together, not out of a, out of a desire to achieve orgasm, but because they want to connect emotionally with each other through the physical act of sex. It can be very romantic, soft, and sweet. The next would be called nurturing. This may be the type of sex where one spouse desires that more than the other, and yet the other, out of love and selflessness, decides, this isn't a bad day yet. this is not a bad idea, I'll go for it. This is different than duty sex, which is the last. Duty sex is sex done out of an obligation. Um, it is not done out of the desire to connect or bless your spouse, but rather out of chore. It's a duty. This is not ideal because what you're doing here is building an association between obligation and your spouse. 
obligation and loving your spouse physically. So I would recommend whenever possible, don't fall into the duty sex. The next myth is sex will always be spontaneous. Pretty similar to the last point, context is everything. An, ex an expectation of consistent spontaneous sex will leave you disappointed. When you are first with your spouse, it seems like time is always available and both people are usually up for it. However, after a while, the routine of life, the responsibilities of work, tending to other relationships and family, having kids, it all takes time and energy from your marriage. Don't let this write the story of your sex life. Be empowered to take charge and initiate, schedule, or plan ahead for physical intimacy. This may seem less romantic, but showing your spouse that they are a priority is romantic. And thinking and fantasizing about one another during the day when sex is scheduled can draw you together. The next myth is there are no consequences for hooking up. This is a pretty profound myth in our culture today as our 20-somethings tend to engage in a hookup culture. There is a benefit. And the benefit to hookup culture is it's low risk. There's a low risk of getting rejected or going through a tearful breakup. But see, it's all about fear. Fear of getting rejected, fear of getting hurt, missing out on other options, scaring someone away, becoming bored, feeling stuck, and being known. But where there is no risk, there is no reward. Hooking up does not allow for intimacy. And without intimacy, you are engaging in meaningless physical expressions of horniness. There may be a lingering belief that if one hooks up enough, usually she, may be able to hook the heart of one of her dates. But as discussed before, hooking up is a perfect environment for shallow, cowardly, low-risk relationships, not the deep, difficult, beautiful intimacy that you're after. Ultimately, there may be plenty of lovers and partners, but it leaves both feeling quite lonely. Even more, the casual attitude of sex certainly does not foster a respect or esteem for the other person. Erica Gordon writes in her article, which is entitled, How Accepting the Hookup Culture is Getting 20-somethings Nowhere. It's rare for a woman of our generation to meet a man who treats her like a priority instead of an option it does become a respect and value problem. So if intimacy and therefore amazingly transcendent connecting lovemaking involves trust, safety, and true knowledge of each other, how can a culture that teaches and embeds low risk, low commitment, low value, and instead promotes fear of vulnerability set us up for happy, healthy relationships? Well, it can't. At the very expensive price of false physical intimacy, we receive empty loneliness in exchange. And I should mention some other risks involved. Maybe high, um, the high risk of unwanted pregnancies or STDs that tend to hang around a lot longer than that one evening. The next myth is a healthy sex life is having sex blank times a month and this should remain the same throughout life seasons. Well, friends, family, and Cosmopolitan will educate you on what is an appropriate frequency of sex. It seems everyone has an opinion, and of course their opinion is based on their personal experience. 
However, each couple is unique. And furthermore, each spouse within that couple is unique. Desire and sex drive will vary significantly. The truth is, a healthy sex life is one that has sex. Sex that does not exploit one spouse for the other, um, but edifies the union, meaning it's for both people. The danger is letting your sex life slip away. Dr. Doug Rosenew often says, a sex life in motion tends to stay in motion, whereas a sex life at rest tends to stay at rest. This is inertia. You and your spouse will need to collaboratively determine an agreeable frequency for your relationship and be cautious of not letting so much time go by that it is more challenging to get back on that horse. Different levels of desire may play into this, which I, which I will get into next. The next myth is two-part. A healthy woman should desire sex just as often as her male partner, and a woman will not enjoy sex but does so as a duty. We're talking desire here. Women receive a lot of competing and conflicting messages about their involvement and desire of sex. <clears throat> TV shows like Grey's Anatomy, Friends, Seinfeld, Sex and City, etc. all paint the picture that women are continuously hungry for sex and are ready to go at a moment's notice. On the other end of the spectrum, many women are explicitly given the message, whether through church or family, that she simply will not enjoy it or at very best, she'll grow tired of his constant advances very quickly. So where is the truth? The answer varies as much as there are women. We are each unique and have a unique sex drive. This is the same for men too. In a study done by Dr. Michael Seitzma and, and his colleagues, in 80% of committed heterosexual couples, the man will desire sex more frequently than women. This means that the other 20% of couples, she's the one who has a higher desire. So ultimately, however, rarely does the desire match. Part of the issue is understanding feminine desire compared to masculine desire. There are typically two types of desires, initiating and receiving. And although initiating is considered more of a masculine tendency, some women will relate to this. Similarly, although receiving is considered more of a feminine tendency, some men will relate to this more. The initiating model begins with a desire, an idea. All that, that's all that is needed to become aroused and begin and, and initiate and request sex from your partner. It's pretty simple. The desire followed by arousal. In the receiving model, it's a little bit more complex. Once this partner is um, requested by her spouse, his or her spouse, she then makes a decision. Yeah, I think sex does sound like a good idea. They will then make an effort to connect emotionally. This might look like joking or flirting, but just enjoying each other emotionally. After that, it usually leads to physical foreplay, petting, caressing, whatever. It is, not till, it is not until then that desire is met. It's interesting if you contrast the two models, where first desire comes before arousal. In this case, arousal becomes, comes before the desire. 
Both models are completely acceptable and very normal, and you'll find that maybe you have experienced both depending on whatever season in life you're in. But it's important that we connect, we talk, and we communicate about what's going on so that we're not lost without having sex at all. The next myth is an internal vaginal orgasm is the most mature of the two types of female orgasm. Thanks to Sigmund Freud, this is still a subtle belief in our culture, and yet studies will show that only one quarter of women are able to reach orgasm through internal vaginal stimulation, or intercourse. The great majority of women are able to achieve orgasm through clitoris stimulation only, and this is really okay. In fact, it can be interpreted as affirming that women have a sexual organ that has one purpose, and that's pleasure. We might as well use it. The next is three-part. Men are the sexperts. Men should be able to know how to direct and proceed sexually to bring both partners to climax without any verbal coaching from their female partner. And healthy men desire sex at least daily. Well, once again, culture has put unrealistic expectations on men. It has become permissible for women to measure the sexual competency of a man by his ability to bring her to climax without any kind of verbal coaching. She may also be a more passive participant in the sexual encounter, giving him the physical responsibility to just make it happen. The pressure here can be overwhelming and may contribute to certain performance anxiety-induced sexual dysfunctions. Gentlemen, you have the privilege and the challenge to learn about what makes you a lady tick. She will change depending on the time of month, her mood, the stresses she's currently undergoing, and of course her age and stage. This will be a continual learning process that she should readily and willingly engage in. By experimenting and listening to her coaching, the two of you will enjoy a deep, satisfying sexual experience. As for frequency, much like women, it will vary as much as there are men. Assuming a man will want sex at least daily will plant seeds of concern when in reality he doesn't. Now we're getting into myths regarding sex in our golden years. The first is, after a certain age, you no longer want sex. It is probably true that younger adults have more hormonally driven sex. However, this does not mean that a couple in their later years no longer desire to connect with their partner. In fact, studies will show that couples are having sex well into their 70s, 80s, and even 90s. It can be argued that the maturity we receive with age and with the time spent with a spouse may allow us to come to the marital bed and enjoy deeper, more satisfying lovemaking. Dr. Doug Rosenew quotes so beautifully, the lessons of maturity involve an ability to accept the imperfect, put a higher priority on companionship, and live in the moment. This can become a powerful catalyst for deeper sexual intimacy and meaningful lovemaking. The final myth that we will cover today is Sex will remain the same throughout life. It just wouldn't be fair or accurate to expect the same sort of sexual experience in your 20s as in your 70s. The simple truth is our bodies will change. Menopause, prostate deterioration, challenges the typical Hollywood sex scene. 
men will no longer be rock hard. In fact, where they were once at 12 o'clock, they may now only be able to reach 8 o'clock. And the erection will require, and it will be somewhat softer. Men will also have a longer refractory period, which is the time between erections required in order to achieve another erection. That time may stretch from 30 minutes as a young adult to several days in an older gentleman. Changes occur in the female as well. After women experience menopause, her vagina walls and labia will become less cushioned and potentially atrophy. This may lead to less lubrication and therefore more pain during intercourse. But here's the beautiful thing about aging together. Her more tender vagina is the perfect space for his less hard erection. We age together and it works. The change that occur in the body as we age may make intercourse more challenging, but it provides an opportunity for deeper intimacy and therefore a more rich sexual experience. It's not defined any longer by successful orgasm, but rather intimacy. To be comfortable and known by your partner, accepted for the beauty of those new wrinkles, looser muscles, and less reliable erections or orgasms, allows a couple to enjoy the closeness that sex was meant to provide. You can be naked and unashamed, enjoying each other's bodies and the time well spent together. Well, that's all I have for you today. I hope this has inspired you to think critically of some of the subtle messages that we often blindly accept. Thank you. You have been listening to an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. For more information or other recordings, please visit our website at www.healthyintimacy.net. Thank you for listening.